Hello, heroes. Welcome to Modifier. I'm your host, Megan Dornbrock. Hey there, heroes. It's Rex Manning Day. But before we can celebrate, let me take a minute to remind you that we're still in the middle of our one-shot network Patreon drive, and we are doing so well. Our goal is to reach $7,500 a month by the network's anniversary in August, and as of this recording, we're just over $7,200. There's some new cool stuff in the secret archives, so head over to patreon.com slash one-shot podcast to check it all out. Okay, so it's not actually Rex Manning Day, but it is Hannah Schaefer Day. Hannah has returned to tell us a bit about her new game, Damn the Man, Save the Music. Loosely based on her Questlandia game system, Damn the Man follows some familiar 90s teen archetypes as the record store they work for faces its possible end. We talk about making games accessible to first-timers, capturing that 90s teen spirit, and how Questlandia keeps evolving with every new game. Let's get to the show. So, joining me this week, uh, we've got a repeat guest, or a, a returner. I'm so excited. Hannah Schaefer is joining us this week to talk about her new game. Um, and we've had Hannah on uh, one of our earlier episodes with Evan Rowland to talk about <laughs> Norlandia. Uh, but this time we're going to talk about your game, um, which is Damn the Man, Save the Music. Damn and the Man. Yeah, I'm so excited. <laughs> um, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit for folks who don't know you? Sure. Uh, I am Hannah Schaefer. I'm an independent game designer. I make games with a little three-person cooperative called Make Big Things. Our other games are Noirlandia, which is a weird noir fantasy murder mystery game. Questlandia, which is a weird fantasy kingdom-destroying game. And 14 Days, which is um, an educational game about living with chronic pain. So we're sort of like spanning the genres. Yeah. (laughs) Just a little bit of everything. Yep. And and now we're into uh, this this new game, Damn the Man, Save the Music, which is yeah. So now now we have Damn the Man, Save the Music, which is up on Kickstarter now, and it is about a bunch of punk teenagers in the mid '90s trying to save their independent record store from collapse. <laughs> so I'm still sort of channeling these these themes about collapse and trying to save something you love into the games I'm working on. Oh, that's very true. Yeah, that yeah. I've got this <laughs> this certain demise is sort of a, a running theme. Yeah, a little, um, little bleak, a little hopeful. But the art looks so cute and bright. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Evan has done an amazing job with the art. And this is sort of a departure for him because he tends to do kind of like dark and moody black and white line work. So it's great Ooh. to see him doing some color art. Oh, awesome. It's so cute. So this game, people are comparing it to uh, or, or um, has its roots in things like Empire Records. Um, I think Clerks gets brought up a lot. Uh, James, they're doing an actual or they're doing the actual play over on one shot of it right now. Yep. Um, and he's likening it to a little bit to High Fidelity. I, I think High Fidelity gets a little like uh, self-absorbed maybe. For, yeah. For the- yeah. <laughs> well, but I mean, 90s, 90s like dramedies were pretty self-absorbed also. <laughs> that is fair. <laughs> Um, so are, are those, is that where you would put the inspiration for, for Damn the Man? Yeah, totally. Uh, I, I think that somewhere in the like nineties drama comedy genre is good, um, (laughs) because it's not quite like American Pie and it's not an Adam Sandler movie. Like it doesn't Mm -hmm. go that far into the like kind of goofy, um, 
and, you know, having sex with pies genre. Um, but it, you know, it goes more in the direction of like friendship and finding yourself and uh, exploring relationships and trying to figure out who you are while things also kind of fall apart and go crazy around you. So it has the zany, but also with that like grounded emotional mm -hmm. thing that, um, that I really loved in a lot of 90s movies. Yeah. And it's, uh, System-wise, the the mechanics of this game they they do come from Questlandia, right? Like yeah, yeah. So the mechanics okay. come from Questlandia, and they've been streamlined and simplified, which is something I've been working on for years, trying to kind of like iron out the Questlandia system. So they are inspired by, but uh, look different than that system. Awesome. I think that's something we talked about with Norlandia too. Is that was a little bit of an experiment in playing with those mechanics. Um, do you think you're there yet? Yeah, I mean, you know, for for what this game is trying to do, I think we're totally there. Uh, I'm also, I'm currently working on a second edition of Questlandia, which is going to be really, really different from the first. It's going to be a campaign game. Um, there's going to be like lore that connects all of these different worlds. So I'm totally not there yet with the system for that game. But I think that each one of these games we've been making has really like helped this design process. And, you know, we, we hammer it out and then build it back up and then hammer it out. Awesome. And I was looking through the the information that you've got there on the Kickstarter and it looks like Damn the Man is pretty strictly like a one session game. Yeah, yeah. So Damn the Man is a one shot um, and hopefully is our shortest game too. I know that we tend to design these one shots that run a little bit long and I really, <laughs> really tried to like be honest when I said this one was maximum three hours. So <laughs> I hope people have that experience. Yeah, definitely. I I um I don't know if I had played Norlandia when we were talking, but I, I know I have since. Um, and we played with a couple of folks who haven't played a lot of role-playing games before. And we had a good time, but we definitely got to that three, three and a half hour point where we were like, we're not, we're not quite done yet. Yeah, we have to go yeah, home. I know. It was, <laughs> it was super fun. So that's very cool. I think this will go over really well um, with that, with that time period in mind. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited and really try and because that's that's a thing like I, it happens with board games too, where you take out a new board game and it says it plays in an hour and a half and like four hours later, you're still mm -hmm. learning the rules. So <laughs> I've really tried to be more mindful of that and like leave space for the fact that people will be learning the rules and awkward things will happen. And that like, mm -hmm. you know, if you say it's two hours, it's going to be three. So try, trying to figure out where that, I don't know, where that formula is. Yeah. So where did Damn the Man start? How did, how did you start down this 90s music store path? Yeah, I, you know, I can't remember exactly. I think I, I think I was watching Empire Records at some point and realized that it sort of followed this structure of like uh, people trying to find themselves and accomplish a big personal goal and they have a very limited time to do it in. And in the meantime, things are just like going to shit around them. Can I, can I say shit? Should I? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Things are falling apart around them. And, uh, it, it, it like followed the Questlandia structure perfectly. Um, and I'm constantly thinking about ways to hack games that I've already made because I don't consider anything that I make to be like perfect or done. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I don't even consider it to be good, but I'm working on that part. Um, <laughs> oh, but <yeah. laughs> I'm working on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know, just hacking always thinking about ways to hack what I've made. And this was this sort of started as like a joke hack. And then here it is. It's like a real game. And I like it. Yeah. 
how how did it look when you first started working on it? I think you mentioned you've been playtesting for about two years, right? Yeah, yeah. It looked uh, the system was much closer to Questlandia, which uses these sort of like the dice rolls in Questlandia are sort of like this own their own little mini game mm -hmm. uh, where you're matching dice against each other and you're taking the highest result and that links to this narrative outcome. And it's a cool system, but it's a little bit clunky and a little crunchy. And for a game that's supposed to play out in about two hours about an indie record store, like it just wasn't a great match for um, the types of people who wanted to play Damn the Man, Save the Music, many of whom yeah. are like first time role players. So I just, you know, kept trying to keep the the, the essential qualities of that system without without the dice that, you know, make people stumble. Sure. Uh, and and there are still. Um... You know, anybody who's worried that there's no dice, there's dice. It's fine. There's dice. Yeah. <laughs> um, awesome. And and I, looking through too, there's uh, Questlandia and and Noirlandia. I feel like they're both a little more um, kind of open and freeform in the in the characters that you come up with and the in the things that you make. Um, but Damn the Man has some archetypes for characters. Yeah, yeah. So this one, it's a lot more narrow in scope. Um, like mm -hmm. the, the world is really, really narrow. I mean, you are probably barely even leaving your record store. Like maybe you're going across the street for coffee, but you're not going on like a quest that spans multiple kingdoms. Mm -hmm. So the, the setting is narrow. The, the scope is narrow. And, um, yeah, you are confined by these character archetypes, um, which weren't there originally, but, uh, you know, trying to just make the game a little bit easier for people mm. to envision, trying to have character creation go more smoothly, to take away some of the, like, creative burden uh, from sure. new players. You know, it's, like, hard to hand somebody, be like, yeah, you're somebody in the 90s, go. Uh, it's much yeah. easier to say, like, uh, you can be the flirt, or you can be the brain, or you can be the space case. And mm. these are this is, like, your public-facing persona, but here's some place to start. Oh, cool. Do they, when, when you pick these archetypes, what kind of information or, or um, like choices do you get? Are they similar to playbooks in other games or? Yeah, I, I would say they're like a really stripped down version of a playbook. Um, you know your archetype name, so mm -hmm. you might know that you're the space case mm -hmm. and it has a few bullet points of like what the space case does and how they tend to act. Um, it, suggest something for you to do when your character doubles down, which is like mm. when your character uh, like really embodies their archetype to just get the task done that they've been assigned by their boss. Um, so it gives you a little bit of mechanical guidance. And then from there, a lot of the options are the same. Like you have uh, a bunch of goals to choose from, and those goals are the same for every, the goal list is the same for every character, but you know, you cool. don't have to all have the same goal, but you could all have the same goal. That would be interesting. Yeah, if you if you all wanted to, like, if you wanted to have a four player game where every single person is trying to find the store's lost cat, you can mm. totally do that. <laughs> I want to play that immediately. I know, I really do. <laughs> I haven't played in it yet, but I'm ready. Mm. Oh, oh, wow. So you've just been been running playtesting for people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I played. I have played in many games of Damn the Man. I have not yeah. yet played in the game with four with lost cats. Oh, with the yeah. four. Yeah, that would be good. Um. So running running this for folks, before you had the character archetypes, were you finding um, that people were kind of coming up with some of the like similar types of characters or, or were they just sort of all over the map? Yeah, I mean, people were people were coming up with 
archetypes, I think, based on movies that they'd seen or based on their own experience of the 90s or their imagined experience of the 90s. Um, but I was finding that it, it's a lot harder to come up with a character in a game that models real life than one that models fantasy. Mm. Like, people were just having a much harder time than in Questlandia or Noirlandia, which I hadn't expected. Like, I had thought it would be the opposite, yeah. that if you could sort of imagine yourself into the game, it would be easier. But um, it turns out it's, like, easier to be, like, a fairy king who lives in a mushroom um, <laughs> than to be, like, a 17-year-old punk and make that 17-year-old punk feel really special without a little extra guidance. Okay. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we're we're just too close to that life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it is something about like, you know, the line between reality and gaming there is a little too thin. So giving people some of those suggestions really, really helped the game. Oh, that's interesting. Once you've got your character, you've, you've got your archetype, you've decided whether you're maybe the brain or the space case, <laughs> um, the game plays out with, with scenes, uh, three acts, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, it has a three-act structure. Uh, everybody gets one schedule scene in the act. So you'll have mm -hmm. three three scenes where the spotlight is on you in the game. And during schedule scenes, you are assigned a task from your boss that's something like, you know, having to get coffee for everybody or having to catch a shoplifter, um, having to, you know, put out like literal or metaphorical fires while there's this big record signing going on in your store. Mm -hmm. And you're also trying to simultaneously balance like healing relationships with friends, which all start off broken in the game, or um, accomplishing your life goal. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. There's, a lot, of, there's a lot of balls in the air. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yep. That is being a teen. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that a structure that evolved over time, or was that something you kind of had in mind from the beginning? It it did evolve over time. Initially, there weren't any goals. Um, mm -hmm. I wasn't sure if it, it, oh gosh, it's undergone so many different iterations. Like there weren't goals, but then you could write in your own goal. Um, but sometimes those weren't like quite actionable enough to make up satisfying games. So this this list of goals to choose from is is part of a more recent version of the game. Ooh. Yeah, that's that's all the stuff I want to know about. Though is all the all the different iterations. Oh yeah, this game yeah. Has taken. Like, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean it's funny because sometimes it's hard to remember like all mm -hmm. of the versions because some of those versions like barely even made it out of my mind before I was like, this is terrible. <laughs> oh, no. But yeah, the, I mean that's what playtesting is is so so good for helping to make these these iterations. But uh, what what are some things that happened in playtesting? Like, did you get any like really weird stories or really funny stories or, or some things that, that just came completely out of left field. They're like, oh, that's that's something to address. Uh, one thing that has been kind of silly is that since adding the goal, find the lost cat to the game, anytime somebody picks the space case as the archetype, as their archetype, they always pick find the lost cat for their oh. goal. Like it's like, those are just like bread and butter. Mm. The space case was destined to find the lost cat. So it's, oh. Um, something like that I did not plan for, but it's kind of the perfect space case goal. Um, so that's been, that's been cute. Um, another thing that's come up throughout playtesting is seeing the way that some groups really like self moderate, um, away from bad stereotypes or tropes. Um, Ooh. I had a game once where a bunch of players, like everybody just ended up playing, um, 
all men, like all all teenage boys Mm -hmm. in the game. And then they designed a boss who was a woman and the players without me prompting them were like, hey, you know, let's like, let's restructure this because I don't want to, we don't want to risk having a game where everybody is like ganging up on this boss and stereotyping her as like, you know, sort of a a 90s power suit wearing like Mm -hmm. alpha bitch trope. Um, And I was like, you guys are awesome. <laughs> and since then, I, I've ended up writing a bunch of stuff into the game about making sure that your your games don't fall into those tropes. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. So inspired by a really great group of players that is now like canon. Oh, yay. Good job, group. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm excited. And and that's like, that's uh, such a good thing. I, I've seen the some of the wording for that that you've got on, on, on like, you know, do better, basically do better than the 90s movies. Do better. Uh, and, you know, giving specific examples, because because it's like do better is a little bit vague. So trying to <laughs> trying to tell people what I mean when I say yeah. do better. Oh, good. Yeah, I was just listening to the uh, the one shot playthrough the other day, and and they've uh, one of their players, Allie, does make a very good point that all those movies like Empire Records and and things they're very white. Like, oh it's... my god, they're so white. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like uh, among other problematic things, but yeah. um, but that's that's awesome. And a lot of and and just to go back to the art that that Evan did, like it's it is so cool. And there's like so many different types of people that he's got in there that like, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that goes a long way also to, to suggesting to people that this is not a game that needs to have like, don't, you don't have to have an all white cast right. and the cover, the cover will set that example for you. Like just because the nineties movies did it, you don't mm-hmm. have to, you don't have to be exactly high fidelity. It's okay. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't worry. Please, please don't be. <laughs> John Cusack's not going to like come after you yeah. or anything. Oh man. I bet he'd play. <laughs> oh yeah. We should <laughs> stretch goal. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Hmm. I want to get that funded. Um, <laughs> Because you, you've got some very specific design goals that you shared. Um, mm-hmm. And one of those you, we talked about a little bit, supporting first-time role players. I guess um, I'm curious, like, what, what prompted that specifically with this game? Yeah, I, I think part of what prompted that was seeing when I brought the game to conventions that a lot of first-time role players were signing up for the game. Um, hmm. And this kind of goes back to... Uh, years ago, I had seen somebody ask, I don't, I don't remember if it was on like a role playing game forum or on Reddit or something, like, what's a great game for first time role players? And my favorite answer to that question was that there's no, uh, game specifically that is like no system that is better or worse for first time role players, mm-hmm. but sometimes just giving people a world that they've already played in, like the Star Wars role playing game, if those players are people who like Star Wars, mm-hmm. because like, the the mental hurdle of getting into the mechanics is made much smaller because you know the world and you know the characters and you know the tone and how this functions. Um, so designing a game where people could come to the table and say, like, I've never played a role-playing game before. I feel a little bit nervous, but I love Empire Records or like, I know I know what this movie looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, right? So I feel like I know what this game looks like was really cool. And I wanted to make sure that those were people who felt like they could uh, play the game after it came out and even maybe run the game. So, um, I mean, my dream for this game would be that, like, somebody played it as their first game and they also GM'd it. Like, they just, like, killed two birds with one stone. They were like, yeah, right, I'm going to do this. And I want to make that easy for people. 
Awesome. What, um, what does that look like? I guess, like what, what did you, um, what do you consider tools or, or mechanics or rules that help make it accessible to first timers? Mm -hmm. So let's see. I think some of those are, um, I like actual play examples. I find it really Mm -hmm. helpful to see examples of like, what, what does this actually look like when players are in this scene? So I have these little, um, like boxes with scripted examples in the game. Um, also using a lot of visuals to support the text because I'm a really visual learner. Yeah. Like for some reason, I, uh, I mean, like as a game designer, I I have a really hard time running games from the rule book. I have to basically be in a game to, to see how it's run. Yeah. So I want to try to figure out how to like write for myself. And I don't quite know how to do that, but <laughs> One way has been putting in a lot of diagrams. So showing like, here's what, here's a picture of what the dice look like on the table instead of saying like, instead of writing what it looks like to roll the dice to both write that and then show a picture of what it actually looks like. Um, and then I also have basically like a GM's guide, but also a player's guide. So every player has a little handy cheat sheet when they're sitting at the table that has like, here's what you do in a scene. Here's what you can do if you feel stuck. Um, and it's only a page long, so it's not too overwhelming. Mm, awesome. And I think we're definitely on a similar wavelength with with needing to see charts and pictures. Yeah, yeah. Are you the same way? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I start reading numbers in a book, and I'm just like, nope, yeah. I'm out. Like, if I wanted this, I would be in math class. Yeah, like, repetition too. It also helps me to see, you know, like, um, I I think that some people are probably gonna groan a little bit at certain certain like ways that I repeat information, but like. And at the beginning of every chapter, I say what's in the chapter, then you have the chapter, and then at the end of every chapter, there's an overview of what you just read. Um, hmm. And I'm just like, I'm that kind of reader. I need to hear something multiple times. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially if you're going to run a thing, like you want to have that. Yeah, really like hammer it in. <laughs> mm-hmm. So how many 90s movies did you watch? <laughs> Not, oh, well, hmm. <laughs> So I, I sort of focused in on a few that, um, that, I mean, I watched Empire Records many, mm-hmm. many times because that, that one is where you'll really find the structure of the game. Like, you know, the game mm-hmm. is about a one day where you have to do everything right at this record signing or your store oh. is going to fall apart. So, oh, that, yeah, that was the other thing. So it, every game is every day Rex Manning day. Essentially. Yeah. Essentially awesome. every day, you know, I mean, in, in different words, but essentially yeah. every day is Rex Manning day. And every time you play the game, you design your own big shot record or your own big shot has been rockstar at the beginning oh. of the game. So everybody gets to design their own Rex Manning. Um, that's so fun. So, <laughs> so Empire Records would be kind of like the closest in terms of structure. Um, mm-hmm. I also watched Dazed and Confused, mm. which has a little bit of a different tone, but it has some of that sort of, you know, like one day where everybody has this like coming of age moment and is kind of dragged into it, whether they like it or not. Um, High Fidelity has been one that's less. I actually haven't rewatched that one. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to go back to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was, I think that's where it, why it kind of got left behind. I mean, people when they say they're like, "Damn the man, the High Fidelity and an Empire Records game," but it's oh. I, it just like doesn't quite hold up as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also don't want you know as much as I love talking about '90s movies, I don't want to leave people behind thinking that they have to have any great affection or have ever seen one of these movies to enjoy the game because I don't think that's the case. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like these, these are archetypes that are, and, and issues and goals that definitely reach beyond. Yeah. You will, you know, you can play the space case or play the brain and make up a rock star without having ever seen Empire Mm -hmm. Records. Um, in fact, maybe don't rewatch it before playing because then it's going to be like in your head. You won't be able to like unlink it from the story. Yeah. And you don't want to just play the movie. No. (laughs) So that's no fun. So coming up with, with the goals, I'm I'm scrolling down and looking at this uh, the character sheet that you've got. Were you thinking like like the cat one goes? It seems to just sort of naturally fit with the space case. Were you thinking about any of the archetypes in particular when you came up with the goals, or just uh, how did you come up with those? That's a great question. Um, I mean, I was trying to kind of unlink them from the archetypes and make mm-hmm. sure that every archetype could match with every goal, like that the, you know, the flirt could want to find a band as much as they could want to pay back a debt or score a promotion. Um, so I, you know, I tried, I, I think that some archetypes tend to lean into some goals more depending on the player. Uh, mm-hmm. but I tried to make them, each feel actionable and also, you know, general, <laughs> specific yeah. and general at the same time, yeah. which is a hard yeah. balance. <laughs> it is. And like so many pieces of games have to do that, that like it, it always amazes me when, when, when designers can do that so well. And it's, uh, it's very cool. Yeah. And I don't know if every, I mean, I think some of the goals are like some of that list is probably stronger than other goals, but uh, it's hard. They went through a lot of playtesting and a lot of goals got, you know, dropped and picked up again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Were were there any that you liked that just didn't work? Yeah. You know, there were there were some goals that were around that were like a little like edgier, maybe like goals around um, finding drugs, which which mm-hmm. took the game more in the dazed and confused direction. Um mm-hmm. And I really liked some of those goals, but they did make it a little bit of a different game. Um, and it's it's like choices like that are it's like the one thing on the list that's going to make one player maybe nope out at the beginning. Like, uh, yeah. you know, this is like content that I can't engage with. So um, those things can come up a little bit more naturally now. You know, players can kind of like set their own boundaries through play instead of having somebody pick a goal around scoring whatever and somebody's mm-hmm. like i i can't do you um i know you've got the list do you suggest that players can come up with their own or is that sort of um because for for those reasons you kind of want to keep it to the list right now you know i've i mean having played both ways keeping it to the list has helped to make it so i think that like a goal around finding drugs is going to lead to a better game in most cases than a goal that ends up being like a little bit wishy-washy. Um, sure. And I can't even think of a great example, but but some goals just like weren't quite driving enough to, to really make things happen and move characters to action. So uh, sure. I would say maybe stick to the list for your first game and then... <laughs> If you feel like a damn the man pro. Yeah. I was say, when you get to the pro level. Yeah, back, back away. <laughs> when you have successfully defeated the man at least oh, once. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You have, <laughs> you have to get the boss first. Um, all right. Uh, and then with, with actually playing out the scenes, we t- you mentioned doubling down a little bit. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like there are a couple things that you can do in a scene. Yeah, there. So there are three things you can do in any scene, uh, and you pick one. Um, so in every scene, you're going to be assigned a schedule task, and every scene 
ends with you rolling to see if you accomplished that, whether you even tried in the scene or not. Um, because in the scenes, you also have to decide whether you want to take a moment, which is healing a relationship with a friend, uh, to go for your goal, which is, you know, trying to see if you can actually score a promotion or find the lost cat, um, or double down, which is where you just dive in and like really try to accomplish the task at hand. So in some scenes, like you may have not even made it to the coffee shop next door because you like needed to take this moment to hash things out after finding out that you and your best friend are both gay, but you've been totally in the closet and like things got really awkward. So like you hash it out. And then at the end of the scene, you're like, I guess I have to roll to see if I got the coffee. Um, <laughs> and you might roll and succeed. And then you get to narrate that like, you know, your friend had your back and they actually brought the coffee and totally covered for you when you, you know, when it, would have seemed like you failed in the eyes of your boss. So, oh, um, yeah, that's been really cool. I, I'm really happy with the scene structure. That's awesome. And and so those are things that you do when when it's like your spotlight scene. Yeah, um, yeah. But how does your character interact when it's not your scene? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's, you know, some of it is non-mechanical, like the GM might put you in a scene with a friend. Um, mm -hmm. They might also put you there specifically if you're having a tense moment with somebody, like, you know, if if you had a falling out with a friend, it's perfect for the your boss to send you guys on the coffee errand together. Mm -hmm. um, and then some of it is mechanical where, um, you know, like healing, a, um, taking a moment to heal a relationship would put characters in a scene together. Okay. Um, and if you have a healed relationship, you can help later with dice. Ooh, that's cool. Yeah. And so we've got dice and there are cards also. There um, are. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and I totally didn't mention this. So at the end of every scene, um, if your role did not go well, you have to flip over a card and see which store trouble just escalated for you. <laughs> uh, and those troubles are with the boss with morale, with community, or with money. So as a result of how things went wrong, you're going to figure out how this has now impacted the store. And if you ever draw, um, this number has changed over time. I don't remember <laughs> what it is now, but X number of troubles and your store is not going to be coming back. Ooh. Yeah. That's the bad end. It's bad. <laughs> it's it's pretty easy to avoid, yeah. but like also some, some groups are like, fuck it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it happens. We've We're seen find a cat, and who cares about the store? Yeah, how many music stores do we know of that have closed because of the cat? Yeah, so many. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to talk about, particularly about the way the game works um, or how it has uh, evolved? Um, so I don't, I don't think there's anything specific. I mean, I feel, I feel really good about where the system is. I feel like it's like a really. Um, tight system that mm -hmm. tells exactly the types of stories that I want it to tell for this game. Um, and they, they play out in a really consistent way, but, um, I was really worried about the game not being replayable, but as somebody who's played it, like probably more times than every, anybody will ever want to play Damn <laughs> the Man in their life, I still have fun every time. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, it's like, even though you see a lot of the same scenes, you see the, uh, the like 90s computer melting down in a certain way, or you see the shoplifter, um, or you see the, the big shot. Um, has been Rockstar throwing a tantrum over getting their wrong, like, latte. Um, they don't get old. I don't know. I think there's something about, um, it just feeling like this really friendly, familiar story that makes it, um, 
a game that's really, really fun to replay. So yeah, I guess that's, I guess that's sort of what I'll say about it is that it's been really, really nice to see that this is in fact a, a highly replayable game. Awesome. That is good to hear. Um, do you have a favorite uh, fake Rockstar name that has come <laughs> up in any of these games or, or a couple? <laughs> oh, yeah, there was one, I think, in a game that I played at Dreamation. Um, we had Terry Dietrich, who was like a, a David Hasselhoff knockoff, um, who had these, he was known for his beautiful lips. Um <laughs> But, like, he really overdid it and, like, would have, like, his albums had lips and, like, he would sit in giant lip chairs. Um, And his fans would, like, wear these fake lips. um, And they were, like, really, really creepy and uncanny valley. (laughs) Um, So he's memorable. If, if, but for, like, you know, this line of people wearing fake lips, which is, like, a really creepy and striking visual. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, that's so... I, I feel like that's going to be my favorite part of this game is just finding out about everybody's fake rock stars. Yeah, oh, I can't wait to hear about yours. <laughs> I will keep you posted. Thank you. So I want to talk about the Kickstarter a little bit since it is running right this very minute. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about Kickstarter Gold, what this means, that that this project is part of that. Is that what's going on? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What is that? Um, so we were going to, I mean, we were gearing up to launch this project anyway. Uh, and then Kickstarter reached out to us saying that they were doing this thing for certain creators who had did projects before. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were highlighting like re reissues or remixes or remakes of past projects. Oh. And it was like perfect because, I mean, I wouldn't have been able to pull together Damn the Man in a month if they had sent me this email and I wasn't already working on the game. Um, but it was like, I mean, damn, the man is a remix yeah. of Questlandia and Noirlandia. So um, it fit perfectly. And, and it's been great. They've been giving, you know, like little bits of promotion to the creators. I think they like maybe are going to release an interview with us at some point. So, oh, wow. um, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what their plans are, but they have like a little Kickstarter gold thing on the front page. Um, and it's cool to see like all of these different creators remixing projects that are so different from ours. Yeah. Oh, that, that worked out super well with the timing. Yeah, the, time, yeah, the timing was perfect. I mean, it really, really was perfect. Very cool. Um, and then the, the, the campaign itself, like we said, is uh, currently going, and it's got another three weeks, I think? Um, I, about, yeah. We just were like a week and a day into it. Yeah. And already funded. Congratulations. Funded. Yeah, thank you. So we're in the stretch goal zone now. Yeah, let's talk about stretch goals. Yeah. Uh, so so the stretch goals that we're currently unlocking are fake bands for the game. Um, one, thing, one thing that I didn't talk about is that something that got written out of the game was that you, I mean, I'm not allowed is a strong word, but um, we encur- I encourage you to make up bands um, because there were early versions had like a little bit of what I've been calling nostalgia tripping where people, players would get really excited and they would start to talk about a certain Metallica album mm-hmm. and then they'd argue about when that album came out. And like, that's a really fun conversation for maybe two people at the table. But if you're not <laughs> in that conversation, you're like, 
I don't know. I don't even really know Metallica. Like, do I have to know this information for this game? Um, so the game is all about fake bands. And, like, you can geek out about your fake bands. And in-game, you can argue about whether, like, Slapping the Walrus, uh, their album came out in 1994 and oh 1995. Um, but you can't argue about whether Metallica's album did. Um, so we've been unlocking these fake bands that are, you know, chart-topping bands of 1994 from... Um, written by game designers in the community. So we've unlocked two of them so far by Dev Perka Yasta and Laura Simpson. Yay. And um, we're about to unlock one from Caitlin Bell, who's one of my favorite game designers. And then we have Alex Roberts and Quinn Murphy. Oh, um, excellent. Yeah, so it's a great lineup. And the bands are going to come out in this little um, booklet that's like essentially like Billboard magazine. So everybody's going to get the booklet oh digitally. And then if you're back at a certain level, you actually get like this magazine. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'm really excited. <laughs> is is that at just the the print level, or is it a, a different level? Do you know that one? So that one's a little high. So that is at the one hundred and twenty five dollar level. Okay. Um, but that level gets you. You oh, get the game you. in this like sweet box um, that comes with everything you need to play it. You also get a poster designed by another artist we're working with, um, mm. and you get the you get the your like Billboard magazine, and you also get to submit your own chart topping band to that magazine Ooh. so like that level is like packed with good treasures oh boy <laughs> hmm. it's a really good one um and everybody who submits uh, a band will get like their own little icon that represents your band it'll get like a half page write-up oh it's gosh. gonna be awesome Ooh. all right i'm gonna have to <laughs> put a bookmark next to this <laughs> And the box art is really great. Um, yeah, yeah. So that one's not by Evan. That one's by Sarah Robbins, um, who's a Baltimore-based artist. And she just, she did such a cool job. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it's just like 90s threw up all over this thing. It's so good. <laughs> in a good way. In a really yeah, good way. in a good way. <laughs> um, awesome. So you've got levels. The ones that we're kind of accustomed to, you can get a digital book or a print book. Um, and we talked about the box. I get, yeah. And also, yeah, I guess for, for anybody who's missed out on Questlandia or Noirlandia, there's ways to get that through this too, which are excellent games. Yeah, yeah. Yep, we have a level where you can get uh, either two copies of Damn the Man or Damn the Man in one of our previous games. Hmm. So that is, uh, those are always available. Yeah. Try to make them easy to access. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, that's, that's about all I had. Uh, Great. If there's anything else that you wanted to add? Um, you know, I think the only thing is, uh, don't, don't be afraid of this game if it doesn't sound like a genre that is immediately, that immediately grabs at you. Like if you, you know, if you thought Empire Records was an awful movie, it kind of was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I think it's good, bad, but if you <laughs> thought it was bad, bad, you don't have to tell the story of Empire Records in this game. So I'm trying to kind of walk a line between, you know, grabbing people who are excited when they hear 90s dramedy, mm -hmm. but not alienating people who may have a really good time with this game, um, who are normally horror fans or uh, high fantasy fans. Mm -hmm. Like I, I've had people stumble into this game at conventions um, because a friend dragged them in and come out saying it was like one of the best games they've ever played. Oh, so um, that's been really, really great. And I, I don't want people to be afraid because they did not like 
Empire Records. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's That'll be my pitch. <laughs> cool. Do not be afraid of Damn the Man. Do not fear the man. <laughs> Maybe just fear him a little bit. Um, yeah, you can fear the man, but not damn the man. Crush him. Um, <laughs> where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me online. I'm on Twitter mostly yeah. at HanBandit. And uh, our game company is Make Big Things. We have a Twitter at Make Big Things, and our website is MakeBigThings.com. How convenient. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for, for coming on again. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on again, Meg. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Huge thanks again to Hannah for coming back to chat with me again. She's a joy to have on, and if you can play with her at a con, totally do it. Her links and the Kickstarter link are in the show notes. Heroes, it's almost July, and I've shared some info on Twitter, but Gen Con is approaching, and the network has many panels on the schedule. Check out the Modifier or OneShot Twitter feeds if you have any trouble searching the Gen Con site. I'll be on the network panel, as well as co-hosting two others. One of those will be discussing interview podcasts with Jim McClure. The other is a public panic attack with Pranks Paul about starting an AP podcast. I hope to see you there. That's it for this week, heroes. You can find Modifier on Twitter at Modifier Podcast or at the headquarters at modifierpodcast.tumblr.com. You can send comments, questions, or contribution suggestions to modifierpodcast at gmail.com. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes as that helps more people find us. Modifier is a proud member of the One Shot Podcast Network, an amazing family of RPG podcasts that includes incredible shows like One Shot, Campaign, Backstory, and Talking Tabletop. Modifier's theme music was created by my favorite Bothan, Cat Greenfield, whose myriad talents are on display at catgreenfield.com. Join me again in two weeks for another episode of Modifier. See you then!